Clubhouse is a brand new social media app that just got valued at over a billion dollars. It's an audio-focused app that saw one of its biggest events last week when Elon Musk joined a show and talked for an hour. Now, we have a lot of thoughts on Clubhouse. We actually hosted our first room, and we're going to go through those thoughts. We're also going to talk about meme stocks and the Super Bowl. It's kind of a variety show, but there's chapter markers. So if you want to jump ahead, you can do that. Now, before we get into the intro, it'd be awesome if you guys could like the video. It helps us out a lot and it takes one second. So I'll wait. Thanks guys. Really appreciate it. You think that was enough time? I think that was I just feel time. like that may not have been enough time. I think they probably Who likes it. a video in that amount of time? Roll the intro. Big week this week. A lot happened. I mean, you, you know? bought and sold Dogecoin. Well, we're going to get to that, Colin. Let's let's back up a little bit. We're going to start with a brand new segment on this podcast called Company News, which is uh, kind of just taking you through some of the things that happened in our life this week. Num- number one, one of the most exciting things happened, and it came out of nowhere. We got verified on Twitter. Really exciting. I asked you, was this you? We got a blue check. Shout out to Kurt at Twitter uh, who, who pushed that through. You know, it's been 10 years of creating content. We have had verified accounts, but this one is the first one that's us. That's our brand. It's Colin and Samir. It's not a sub-brand. Um, and it's verified. It's got a blue check. It, it, it's a bigger deal than I thought it was going to be. Totally. How did it feel? Amazing. Better than it probably should have. And yeah. I feel like I now have some superpowers. I don't know what they are. I'm not yeah. sure what you can do with a verified check. I might post uh, selfies. Shirtless selfies. Okay. Is that what you get to do now? No, it was just a shot at, at, at Jumath. So, okay. Yeah. Okay, uh, the second thing that happened in company news is this channel that you're watching right now crossed 10,000 subscribers. Which was a milestone we wanted to hit. So next milestone. 25. Okay, I was going to say 50. Okay, let's, let's do 25 as a checkpoint. Right. 25, we'll celebrate. Yeah, we're all going to celebrate together. So thank you guys so much for, for pressing subscribe. If you're watching it here, um, this has been really awesome to bring this show on to YouTube. And uh, if you're listening, you know, what I like to see is when people listen and then they come over to the comment section on our YouTube channel and, and put comments. Because when you're listening to a podcast, you don't really have that opportunity for community engagement. And so I think this channel provides that opportunity. But anyway, thank you guys for 10,000 subs. 25K is next and 50K is the big milestone that we're trying to hit. We're gonna have a big party when that happens. Next point of company news on Twitter, we're followed by Cody Coe, who we're a huge fan of. Would love to have him on the podcast. He actually follows us now on Twitter. Must be because of the verification. Yeah, probably. I'm really excited about Cody Co. following us. I, I think that's one thing that I'd like to put out into the world is a podcast guest bucket list. And Cody is definitely on that list. So we'll probably roll that out in the coming weeks. And if anyone listening has ins to any of these guests, it would be awesome to get them on. Next thing. Yeah. Not necessarily company news. Something we want all of your opinion on is... A name change. We're considering changing the podcast from the Colin and Samir podcast to, get ready, the Colin and Samir show. I like it. Yeah, I like it. it. It's it, clean. It's, it's conversations that we've been having internally um, a lot because we've now are making this show for YouTube first, kind of. You know, if you're a longtime listener to the Colin and Samir podcast, you know that it probably, it was a different show when it first started. And it was strictly for audio and um, just to give it a more holistic, you know, brand name, the Colin and Samir show. So curious what you guys think. We'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments because we're actively thinking about it. Once we make that name change, we probably won't change it again. So uh, would love to hear if you guys like it as the Colin and Samir podcast, or if you think the Colin and Samir show makes sense. Last piece of company news. It was uh, my birthday. We had a company birthday. Mm-hmm. Company birthday party. Uh, Colin turned 32. Yep. And I, so typically Colin and I give each other um, candles when there's any sort of celebration. Nice. They smell nice. They don't cost a lot of money. Also, it just uh, became a habit at some point. You and I also, yeah. we don't need the extra stress of what should I get no, no, this other we person. Don't, we don't we, we see with. each other so much. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Just get each other a candle, move on. But, you know, you're looking at someone who, uh, who made out pretty big on the meme stonks. Dogecoin thousand air. Uh, no, I'm a Dogecoin hundred air. Uh, oh. Made a couple hundred bucks in Doge. Uh, saw the tweet from our boy Elon, and when I say our boy, I don't know him, but he yeah. feels like he's all of our friend now. This week uh, and and last week, where he was just like really supporting the uh, the everyday person like you and me, and helping us make some money on on meme stocks. He had a great line, 
and we're going to get to his clubhouse feature and, and talk a lot about clubhouse today. But he had a great line that he said, uh, that memes control the universe. And he said, like, if a picture says a thousand words, a meme says 10,000. And uh, so just like that whole like meme stock and, and just how, how impactful he was and the memes were allowed me to make some money on Dogecoin or Dogcoin, whatever it's called. I have no idea. Uh, and with that money, I bought Colin a, a birthday gift. Got him a getaway. Yeah, getaway. It's this yeah. Uh, yeah, it's sort cool. of like Airbnb, but it's a service where you can uh, get away. They yeah. have little cabins all over and uh, it was really nice. Yeah, I just, like when I bought in to Dogecoin after Elon's tweet, Colin wasn't here. And I, I was here in the dark room in the office just buying Doge. And I video chatted Colin to show him my earnings. And he had so much FOMO that I was like, you know what? Whatever earnings I have here, I'm gonna buy, I'm gonna buy a birthday gift. For I had FOMO because I don't trade with Robinhood, but I had to get Robinhood, I think at the time, to try and buy Doge. But Robinhood was... <laughs> totally freezing and I couldn't even get into it. So not only did I have FOMO, but like I couldn't even take part if I wanted to, to ride that ride. I think what's amazing, I was trying to, uh, my dad called me that night because he was hearing about all this stuff. And he was asking me like, what, what's going on? And I think what's amazing is if you're plugged into social, how much impact that had on the market. Now, of course, you know, look, it's, it's kind of old news now when you talk about GameStop and, and what actually happened. But when you really think about the impact of social media now, we've been talking about this for a while, like distressed markets. Creators are going to get involved in distressed markets. Influencers should partner with restaurants to bring new life uh, to businesses. I don't think I ever thought that they would, like influencers would be able to have such a powerful impact on every industry, <laughs> every industry and, and an industry like Wall Street. Now, at the same time, we have to take a step back and say, yes, there were some little wins that happened, you know. And some of them were really significant. But at scale, the, the kind of like capital companies and the hedge funds still overall won. Yeah, I mean, they paused you know, the market. Yeah, they still kind of won. But it was amazing to see that people on social could come together to make an impact. Yeah, I do think it is important to note that like AMC, GameStop, both of those fell drastically and people lost yeah. a lot of money yesterday yeah. and this morning. Um, I was listening to Jordan Belfort talk about some of this stuff and just like it is kind of like Wolf of Wall Street, but just controlled by Reddit users instead of Stratton Oakmont. Um, so it, it was really fascinating to see. I'm curious how, you know, the markets are going to react, but we saw, we saw like big influencers getting involved to drive communities of people. So David Dobrik tweeted by AMC. He said one, two, three, or it's easy as one, two, three, just buy AMC. I think Addison Ray tweeted to the moon. Yeah, which was a reference to the Dogecoin uh, kind of army that was, that was picking up at that time. And then, of course, notoriously, Elon Musk. When he tweeted, I like Etsy, Etsy stock rose. When, you know, when, Put Bitcoin in his profile. Yeah, and Mr. Beast did too. Um, so I think this like communities of people being able to congregate Digitally, of course, I think accelerated by the fact that everyone's at home, you know, looking for ways to, to make some money, have some fun, but also just band together and feel a sense of community. Like you don't have that sense anymore where you go outside and you're with a bunch of people, you're at a concert, you're at a music festival, whatever that is. That experience is now happening and playing out online. And through, I feel like Reddit is a huge place that communities come together. And one of the best tweets I saw was that like Reddit users figured out how to monetize Reddit better than Reddit through Robinhood. I think the thing about Reddit as well as TikTok is that they are community accelerants. Like mm -hmm. as something starts trending, TikTok actually becomes a form of Reddit. Things come into your feed by engaging with them. You're basically uploading them. Yeah. Right. Until that topic rises to the top and there's a huge community around it. Yeah. I, I, I think what's interesting is communities all need leaders. You know, there's a great book by Seth Godin called Tribes, which is all about, you know, this human nature is to operate in tribes and for leaders to emerge within those tribes. And Elon Musk, clearly, I think using digital, you know, across industries, he's a leader, but his, the way that he operates as a creator, you know, as someone on Twitter, as someone who's just like, who makes memes and like who, who plays the, plays in the digital world I think he's emerged as a tribe leader on digital. And there's a couple of them, right? There's, there's Mr. Beast, there's Elon Musk. There's like, there's all these people who, who operate as like tribe leaders on the internet. And I think over time, people have looked at 
the internet as like a separate world and it is a separate world. And now there's leaders emerging and Elon was able to drive a joke currency up and make people a lot of money. He basically, Elon Musk basically bought your birthday gift. Like without him, that's not happening. Um, and thank you, Elon. (laughs) Thank you, Elon. And something that we saw was he's not only able to drive markets, but he can drive culture and mass amounts of people to a platform, which is what we saw on Clubhouse. Now, Clubhouse is something that's been picking up steam. It's been talked about a lot. I think we get, we get a ton of messages asking us about Clubhouse. So it felt like the right time to talk about it when it had s- such a big event, you know? And now to preface this, we were, we were recording this a few days after the Elon Musk Clubhouse experience. So anything could happen in the next few days before we post this. But that's what we're coming fresh off. Um, and so that's what we wanted to talk about today. Talk about Clubhouse. Yeah, and from a timing perspective, I do want to note, we're also talking a couple days before the Super Bowl. Right. So if anything crazy happened at the Super Bowl. Let us know. Yeah, let us know. Maybe okay. we'll talk about that in the following pod. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's dig into Clubhouse here. Clubhouse. Um, Brief maybe, context maybe yeah, on Clubhouse. Yeah, give some context on Clubhouse. Uh, Clubhouse essentially is, and, and I was watching a video uh, of Gary Vee every time that he spoke about Clubhouse, and he described it as basically a digital dinner table, a digital dinner party. So what you have, it's, it's audio only, and there are rooms that you can enter. And, you know, there can be anywhere from 25 people to, you know, when Elon was in a room, there were capped at 5,000 people. Uh, and, you know, basically it's like a dinner party conversation where there may be two to three people who are dominating the conversation. But if you are listening and you have a question, you can raise your hand and you might get called up to ask your question and take part. So I got on Clubhouse, I think mid-2020, summer of 2020, and uh, I was invited in and felt very cool. Because it is invite only. Yeah, and it was very exclusive at that time. And I think I mentioned to you, I, was, I told you about it, and the person who invited me um, onboarded me that night and was like, yeah, hop in. And there, there was like 100 people maybe, and so the rooms were really interesting. And... I ended up in a room that a ton of people started filing into. And the room was called like onboarding Samir or like welcoming Samir. And it was just so new that I think people were hopping in. I ended up talking to executives from HBO. We were talking about the, the, the merging of digital and traditional media. And it was like this wild networking room. And there was an audience. And those, like you mentioned, those audience members could come up onto, you know, I guess we'll call it the stage uh, and then could be moved back to the audience and the, there's a moderator and there's like, there's, it's essentially how I would, moreover, I, I think it's less of a dinner table and more of a panel mm-hmm. because there is this vibe of there's a few people speaking and they're on the panel and maybe there's a moderator and then there's people in the audience and then those audience members can ask a question or come up onto the stage. So that, that's how I felt. After that, I was actually, I didn't go back on the app almost at all. I, I listened in a couple of times when like there was a big event, like Virgil Abloh was talking. So I'd listen in and check it out. But I was actually asked why, why I wasn't going on the app by, by some members from Clubhouse. And I was like, you know what? I, I don't feel like there's enough guidance. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed, am I supposed to start my own room? Will anyone listen? Am I supposed, when I'm in a room, like what do I, can I get up onto the stage? Like, how does this all work? So I was pretty like, like hands off. And then months and months later now, you come to this moment where now there's over 2 million users on the app. And it's definitely picking up a big culture. And with the Elon Musk event, I think has has skyrocketed into the limelight. It's a huge topic of conversation for creators. And you and I hosted our first room. We did. Yeah, we hosted our first room last night. And I have a lot of thoughts about it. Okay. So you spoke about how Clubhouse is sort of the utmost of reality, right? That, that yeah. It simulates this experience of listening to people on a phone call. And that's becoming somewhat so, of entertainment because it's really raw. Yeah. And you're getting to sort of live through that experience. The interesting thing about Clubhouse is that it is reality as entertainment. It's Colin and I essentially on a phone call when we started last night and people file into the room and are listening to us talk. Now, of course, that does turn into a bit of a performance because you have an audience, but it is raw and unfiltered. Like I am on my phone talking um, 
And what I was saying to Colin was that it's this evolution of this desire to consume reality as entertainment. When you go back in time, like, uh, and, and look at, let, let's just go modern history, but you look at reality TV, keeping up with the Kardashians and like our desire to consume real life, quote unquote, big brother, uh, up to Jersey shore and like these like real life people as entertainment. And then you get into YouTube vlogging, Casey Neistat, like the guys mowing the lawn and we're consuming it as entertainment. You go into Snapchat stories, Instagram stories, and you get closer and closer podcasting. Um, you get closer and closer to being like, I just want real life as, as what I'm consuming. And I think Clubhouse is that next iteration where it's unlike the radio because it's actually people on phones without a producer in the middle just talking. I actually found it to be too real. It, it kind of hit me in the face. We, we started around 8.30 last night. I'm in my living room. And, you know, I have some anxiety around public speaking. And I've been on some panels before. They make me nervous. I'm always thinking about, uh, I, I hope I can get the right word in. I can sound smart. Like, it's, it's conversation as sport, mm. I find. I found it to be very, like, competitive. And maybe that's just me. But it ended up bringing all of this anxiety to me that I normally would have at a panel or at a public speaking engagement, but it was in my living room and I'm wearing sweatpants on my couch, but all of a sudden I'm nervous and I, I don't know what to say. And it has these group social dynamics where I didn't know if it was time for me to speak and butt in or what I should do. Where was the conversation going? When are we going to stop? Like there were just no bounds around it. And I ended up being so anxious and I wanted to text you 15 minutes in and say, I think we should wrap this up. So we went for two hours. Yeah. Just so you, you all know. And a lot of that is because on the contrary, I was on a high. I was like, yeah. this is the social media app I've been waiting for. This is yeah. like where it, for me, the opposite of, I think some of your experiences, you give me a mic and a stage and I'm, I'm super happy. Like it's something that I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, I find, I've said this multiple times, yeah. but you are the LeBron James of conversation. <laughs> I, You're very, I, very good at I, conversation, at taking a cue from someone, a question and having an answer immediately. And I think when you're playing next to LeBron James, of course, LeBron James is going to take the shot. Yeah, but you, okay, take, now, a, take a second to step back. Uh, first of all, if you guys are on Clubhouse, please follow me so I can continue to feel like I'm the LeBron James. Uh, I think I need to play more games to be the LeBron James, especially of that app, where I, I would like to do this on a regular basis. I think you're LeBron. Um, people just don't know it yet. People don't know it yet. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. But I think we also, in our, in our, in our heyday of public speaking, which probably is still coming. Like, yeah, yeah. Like we're we've, not. we've done some public speaking, but I think we're on a, on a path to do more. Totally. And it's super enjoyable. I think we've had some good, you know, like alley-oops. We've knocked it out of the park. Yeah, you and I are like zinging back and forth and it's, uh, it's, it's working. Now, here's the good, yeah. I think. The fact that last night our clubhouse room felt so real that it gave me anxiety is a good thing. Because every time I've taken part in public speaking, I get really nervous before. And for the most part, it turns out fine. And even if it doesn't, I'm still glad that I did it because I consider it a good learning experience. Actually, it was, uh, a, I want to do more public speaking. Yeah. So whether it was what I would consider a poor performance or a great performance, I'm still happy I did it. Like it's a rep. And I think for me, like Clubhouse is actually a way to get more reps in so mm. that I do feel more comfortable speaking on my toes. Yeah. So let's, let's kind of now that's, that's part of our experience, you know, at, at, at a high level, just so you all know, like the, the we, had, we went for we went for two hours and at times there was 50 people in the room, which was wild. Like we didn't know these people in the beginning. It was just our friends. Like we knew all the people cause they got push notifications. Then over time, as other people joined the room, um, who had big followings, there were some people in there who had hundreds of thousands of followers on clubhouse. And I got LinkedIn requests afterwards from those people. And so I want to, I want to talk about why this app is valued at such a crazy valuation, you know, Andreessen Horowitz was like a massive venture capital firm from my understanding, uh, put somewhere around a hundred million dollars into this, this app. And yeah. it's, it's over a billion dollar valuation. There's no money being transacted on this app. It, it, it's just people talking. Um, so why, why is this valued so high? And after last night, this question came up actually a lot in our clubhouse room. Uh, people were asking us, why is it valued so high? So I first want to start with with this thought around social media and productivity. 
Now, Colin and I always talk about like transformation. So when you're making anything, whether you're making a movie, a product, uh, an app, how are you transforming the user? You have to remember that people invest time. So the ex expectation is that they're getting something on the other side of it. They're investing and they're expecting a return. Now, some of that return might be like, I feel more relaxed. I just laughed, so I feel better. I feel happy. I feel, you know, whatever that is. But mm -hmm. Clubhouse is one of these apps that the brand of it and the culture of it so far is this like productivity brand where it's a productive experience to be on Clubhouse. Yeah, it's the South by Southwest of social exactly. media apps. You go to be educated. You go to be educated, you go to network, you're going in, you're saying, I'm gonna invest time in this app and I'm gonna progress my career, which means I might make more money, I might become more validated. Like those are transformation points that are so important and, and, and that are super sticky. Like audiences will stick to those environments. And when you think about what you just said around South by Southwest, when you think about um, these big conferences, CES, now you start to realize, oh, wait, that could happen in a bit of a digital space. There's people who fly themselves to South by, not to speak on panels, but to listen to the panels. There's people who fly themselves there for the networking, for the opportunity to get an edge in their own business. But what if you could do that on a regular basis? And then you start to realize, okay, there's obvious monetization angles here. There's tickets, right? Can I buy a ticket to an event? Of course you can uh, over time. There is uh, a model of probably brand sponsorships like in the South by model or CES, like does Microsoft sponsor a stage and do they pay speakers to get on that stage? What we saw with Elon Musk was that when people come, you know, when, when someone of that caliber, that size comes into the room, it was not only 5,000 people in the room, but there was five or six other rooms with 5,000 people in it. It was everyone talking about it on Twitter. Yeah, it and there was, was pre-shows. <laughs> like it, that brand... Uh, 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 like that, that moment was eventized at scale across all of social. And there was hundreds of thousands of people listening to that. There's streams of it afterwards. If that was sponsored by someone and it was brought to you by someone, like that's a lot of exposure. And it is about scale. If you look at a South by Southwest, it's pretty expensive to buy that ticket to South by Southwest, mm -hmm. right? What is it like $2,000? Oh, it's really expensive. And you're flying yourself there. Like, so how many people can actually go? Right. Right. And then you look at what Clubhouse is doing and think, okay, well, let's bring the price point down, but let's scale it to potentially hundreds of thousands, millions of people yeah. in all different types of disciplines. And the overhead. What's the overhead? It's so easy to do. It's crazy. I was doing dishes while we were talking on Clubhouse. I was. What's the overhead for a speaker? Pacing nervously around my <laughs> living room, waiting for it to be over. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I, if we get booked to do a speaking gig on Clubhouse, Super high margin for the speakers. Very easy ask. Um, for the brand, probably a lot of exposure, a lot of value. And if it's not a brand sponsorship, there's probably users who will pay to listen into that room if it's educational. So I think there's a ton of monetization opportunities. I think you just have to look at the conference world. The conference world is really lucrative. So Twitter, though, already has a competitor version that they've been playing around with. What happens if... Facebook or one of these other companies just flips on basically so, Clubhouse. First and foremost, there was a good question last night in our Clubhouse room around culture. Uh, and like, you know, we can't, like Clubhouse has had some moments uh, of scrutiny. Um, they, yeah, there's been anti-Semitism, yeah. there's been racism because there's a lack of moderation. moderation and that's, yeah. you know, a problem that they have to face. So I think the thing that Clubhouse did that was interesting was they they started with like ex exclusivity, which um, exclusivity creates a ton of demand, of course. Like even the fact that I heard about this app and I like couldn't get in, there's a there's a, a thought in your head of like, come on, what do you mean I can't get in? Let me in now. I now I care, um, and th I think that scales pretty fast, especially when it's in the context of business. Again, you have to remember like this is a productivity app, and when you think about productivity and being like, wait, now I don't have an edge in business because I'm not on Clubhouse. That's an issue. So you mix edge with status. Yeah. Status is, is a huge driver. Um, now, the, the second thing is that um, the brand of Clubhouse is going to be defined by the users. So Clubhouse does need to now, you know, make sure that it continues to curate these experiences, these events, the users, elevate certain users to the top who are really driving the Clubhouse brand and hold strong on the brand because all the other brands are defined. You know, Twitter's defined, Instagram's defined. I think they could roll out products like this. Of course they can. 
the quest, this is a feature. It's not, it's not like wildly unique tech because we've already seen tons of copycats uh, of Clubhouse. So it's a feature. What it, what it also is, is a brand. And I think if Clubhouse, right now, even us talking about it, we're reinforcing the brand. And if it, ha- if it continues to build good brand equity, it's going to be fine. But I think there potentially is like, depending on how big this valuation gets, I think there's an acquisition at play. Totally. Especially when it comes to like LinkedIn. LinkedIn would be an amazing uh, acquirer of Clubhouse. I don't know if they have the money to do it, but it is the LinkedIn audience. It's like, I'm here to progress my career. LinkedIn doesn't like has some good content, you know, ecosystem, but like audio and panels and conferences, that's an amazing ecosystem. I mean, right now it's the LinkedIn audience, but there's actually a lot of innovation happening on the platform. There was a rendition, a live rendition of the Lion King Yeah, I popped into another group that was a group co-working session where people were just listening to chill hop. Like it was like a chill hop radio station. Wow, that's interesting. And there were hundreds of people just working together. The thing that I liked about it um, was it felt like the modern version of a conference, which to me, I again, I love I love those conferences, both being an audience member as well as being a panelist. uh, And I've been both uh, at, at at conferences. Absolutely love it. So it felt like the modern conference but it had the spontaneity of a like live talk show, but like on steroids where literally I couldn't have anticipated who came into our room last night and then who came up onto the stage, which uh, I don't know if that's what it's called, but who, who came up onto the stage. And that created these spontaneous moments that were just so interesting to me. Like it took the conversation in different directions. And it was like, wow, who's going to pop on stage now? And our friend Paul Rabel popped on, and that was totally unexpected. Uh, Justin Odisho, who's another YouTube creator, popped in. I think that spontaneity, like if you were if you were at a panel listening to, which we've been at many times, Mr. Beast and Casey Neistat talk about YouTube, and then out of nowhere, someone walks on to, into the room, and they're like, oh, why don't you come up here? It's like, whoa, where, <laughs> wait, is that Jamie Foxx? Why is Jamie Foxx here? Which I think is your dream. That's my dream. That you yeah. walk into a big room, and they're like, Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) Samir Chaudhry just walked in. Let's get him on the stage. Yeah, I mean, totally. That that spontaneity is really fun. And yes, it's my dream. Like, I love getting thrown completely new things and having to shape shift a conversation. Again, really fun for me. But what's also dynamic about this app and what I think we will continue to see is appointment listening. Now, appointment listening is basically scheduled programming. And that's what we saw with the Elon Musk interview where it was announced that he was going to be on a show called The Good Time Show, which is hosted by our good friend, uh, Sriram, who just also launched his YouTube channel. Shout out to Sriram. And he hosts this show every Sunday night. And he announced that the guest that week was going to be Elon Musk. Now you've created anticipation. It was like 11 p.m. It's going to happen. All day, all afternoon on Clubhouse, there was pre-shows. The Elon Musk pre-show is what things were called. Like every room was called that. And people were getting hyped. And at the top, the top banner on Clubhouse said 11 p.m., Good Time Show featuring Elon Musk. That's appointment listening. I think what's really cool is the Good Time Show is a relatively new show on Clubhouse that has four nights a week where every night they recap sort of the day in tech. And I saw that day on Twitter or that night, the Good Time Show was part of the Twitter trending tab. Like it said, Elon Musk, and then it said, he's on the Good Time Show. Yeah. What an exciting thing to launch a new show and already have that name brand recognition. And I think that's what's going to be really cool about like the next phase of Clubhouse is as people start to build out shows and they build IP around these unique live talk shows. I think that's really exciting as the formats develop. Like when I think about our show, about potentially having a show on Clubhouse, that's what gets me excited is like, what would the format of the show be? At what point do we bring in speakers you know, how could we make it unique? Like there's so much ground to explore right now on Clubhouse. I think, I think that it's going to be this amazing mix over time of premier programming. I mean, there's probably a world where there's like Clubhouse originals, whether or not they're called that. And I think they've announced that they are going to use some of the cash that they've raised to um, give grants, give grants and give creators dollar amounts to host shows. Similar to all the other platforms. Similar to all the other platforms, but then you start to realize, well, that's going to be regular scheduled programming where you might have access to an entrepreneur or a creator once a week 
in this like cool unfiltered phone call that's entertainment or that's education. It's actually not entertainment. It's more education. Um, and again, when you contextualize it like that, education, productivity, professional services, like uh, professional career advancement. You with can, a lot of serendipity. With a lot of serendipity so that it makes it entertaining. Because that's what makes it very different than a podcast. Yeah. Again, like it's like you, you bring in a guest speaker to your classroom and that speaker's talking with the teacher and then all of a sudden, boom, hey, is that Jamie Foxx? Why is Jamie? You know, yeah, again, I keep using Jamie Foxx because yeah. it would just be so amazing if Jamie Foxx just walked, just in, walked in right now. Yeah, you'd be like, what is happening? Jamie, uh, please yeah. speak. Yeah. And that's what makes it entertaining. It's, it's what we talked about um, earlier on this podcast. If you haven't listened to that episode about Mr. Beast and how he turns millions of dollars into billions of views, it's that tension. The tension is just ever present on Clubhouse of who's going to walk in, what's going to happen. This is live. That tension is unbelievable. And so you're there, you're learning. So you're transforming into a, you know, smarter version of yourself or a more, you know, sharper in your business. You could potentially make more money. And at the same time, you're living with this tension of anything can happen. And on top of that, it is, like we said, appointment viewing. So if you're not there, you missed it. You missed it, yeah. There's no replays for the most part. Oh, it's I against community guidelines to hooked. record it. Yeah. So it is for, from an advertising perspective and from a pay-per-view perspective, it can become really valuable because you'll mm -hmm. pay to be in that room to be able to listen to it. And also from an advertising perspective, everyone has their energy on this single moment. It is like the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. Like it is happening right here, right now. And you have to be living and breathing within the confines of this world that we're making for this given moment mm -hmm. to experience it. And I think what's interesting is because of the type of guests that you can have in this, it's, it's much easier to book a guest on Clubhouse, right? For you and I to book a guest on our show could be anyone because they just have to be on the phone. One of the most interesting things was when Elon was like, in the beginning of the show, I, I texted you immediately when I started listening to Elon one of the first things, speaking of that tension of spontaneity, one of the first things he, he said, they, they welcomed him to the show. He's like, thanks for having me. Let's get Vlad on from Robinhood, CEO of Robinhood. One of the first things he says. And I was like, oh, is that going to happen? And I don't know if Elon's like one of the this savant storyteller and that he already knew that was going to happen. And he introduced this tension point that I was living with for the whole conversation of, is Vlad going to come on? And then by the end of the conversation, Vlad comes on. And Elon and him just talk. I mean, whether it's planned or not, right when he says that, people probably know Vlad or are tweeting at Vlad and they're like, hey, Vlad, you mm -hmm. gotta come on. That was like this amazing level of spontaneity. Um, and Elon, the, the, you know, Sriram and, and, and the team with the Good Time Show did a great job interviewing him and, you know, asking him questions. I think there's people who gave feedback saying like they weren't hard hitting enough. They weren't like, you know, intense enough of questions. But for me, a guy who's just like into this stuff, I thought some of the stuff he said was fascinating. I think we can spend a second just going through. What's amazing is people posted it on YouTube, but people also did like Twitter threads about Elon's conversation on Clubhouse. Again, because it's one of the most unique things to just get access to someone. It's not edited. It's not filtered. There's no producer. It's just Elon talking to someone he knows. About Martians. And about... <laughs> Martians, here's one of the first things I'm going to bring up. This was kind of disappointing to me, to be honest, when he said this. Elon said, uh, regarding aliens, he has not seen any conclusive evidence of aliens so far. Doesn't mean it's not possible, but he feels there's not conclusive evidence. That's kind of disappointing. I feel like that's rational. That's fine. We all know there's aliens somewhere out there, but we just really haven't met them yet. Right? Don't we all know that? I don't know. Um, <laughs> here's, here's, here's the conversation around memes. So here's some of the quotes around memes that I, I think is really important for everyone to understand. It's really to understand the way the, the, the uh, internet is moving is that if you make a relatable piece of content that speaks to a lot of people, you can drive so much culture and influence. And memes are that you know modern form of someone that we worked with, Carrie, she said that memes are um, a modern form of education. It's how people are getting socialized into like culture, right? Like if you, if you want to learn about a certain culture, let's say you want to learn about rugby. If you spent two days in rugby memes, you'd learn about it. And even for me, like how I've now started to watch uh, the show The Bachelor is primarily because uh, once a week, my Instagram, I'd start to see memes that seemed really funny 
about the show. And then I learned about the characters and how things worked. And I was like, this seems funny. I'll watch it. Because I'm watching it so that I can understand the memes more. The cool thing about memes is that they are the smallest possible storytelling unit. It is a single frame and a piece of text. Yeah. So it's really accessible. Like as you, if you want to write a book, if you want to make a YouTube video, if you want to record a podcast, there are a lot of barriers to that. You want to make a meme, it's open to everyone. So they can move really, really fast. It's actually like the title thumbnail Mm -hmm. put together. Yeah. And that is the ultimate smallest unit of a storytelling component. Okay, so this Twitter thread was put together by Kunal Shah. Uh, So thanks, Kunal, if you guys want to read through the whole thing of what Elon said. Uh, But he said, those who control memes control the universe. Memes are complex form of communication. Pictures say a thousand words. Memes probably say 10,000. And then he say, I make some memes. I get sent some and I have a kick-ass meme dealer. (laughs) (laughs) So two people that I've heard in the past two weeks who have meme dealers. One is Dave Portnoy. He hired someone, this guy, he was a teacher. He was making memes for fun. And Portnoy loved it so much. He said, I'll pay you to leave your teaching job, be my full-time meme dealer. It's essentially like having a comedy writer on your team. Yeah, and it's or like- Or a social anthropologist. It's also the best way to get information out. Now, th- there's another thing that Kunal uh, wrote from Elon's conversation. So this is something Elon said. Most of my kids' education is from YouTube and Reddit. Whoa, that just shows you like memes are a part of education. Oh, completely. Now, there's a lot of other stuff that Elon talked about that I was like, my mind was like, it was like too much for me about like limbic, you know, our limbic mind and our other, like some other stuff that he was talking about. And then like injecting monkey brain, like, yeah, yeah we have the best monkey facility and are keen to get them to play some games with their mind. Easy application could be um, for people with brain injury, for those uh, with brain injury before it comes available. Yeah. I was like, I, I was a little I, I lost on Neuralink, but I was like, the- I don't, I, Elon, I don't know what you're talking about, but just to, to close the loop on what we were talking about, I felt like I was more educated and that I was in on something and that I had been essentially watching the Super Bowl. So I could, I could engage in the Twitter conversation the next day. I could engage in my conversation with friends who had all also listened to Elon talk. I mean, and Clubhouse created for that night the internet's biggest event. Yeah. And it was extremely low lift. So a couple things to close uh, the loop on, on Clubhouse here. Um, number one, for everyone asking us our thoughts on it, I was iffy on it. And after actually hosting a room, I'm pretty bullish on it. I think it's really cool, but it, the, the app is going to be defined by the users. And if Clubhouse can work to moderate, uh, create a good environment, a productive environment, and curate content and think about who to finance to host uh, regular scheduled programming, I think we're going to start to see you know, shows emerge. And those shows are going to define if Clubhouse retains itself as a brand or if it gets zucked, meaning like, you know, Facebook steals it or Twitter steals it or someone else creates audio rooms, you know, or LinkedIn just builds their own version of it. So I think that's going to come down to the shows. I think already what you've seen in them opening it up, uh, some stats that we have here is that, uh, you know, in, in this past month, they've seen a 500 percent increase in traffic and Google searches of Clubhouse reached an all-time high. Um, They had 600,000 users at the end of 2020. And right now they have over 2 million users. And the week of Elon's talk, they had 2 million weekly active users. So pretty impressive growth. I think they're going to continue to grow. And, you know, for those of you who are on the app, follow Colin and I, because who knows? I also have eight invites right now. Uh, if any, I would happily, yeah. So comment below if you're interested in one. I saw an article recently that said clubhouse invites are going for $125 on Craigslist and eBay. That's amazing. I think that right now it's a little bit more exclusive so that they can learn more about moderation Mm -hmm. and they can build the right culture because that's going to take a little bit of time. They can build stars Mm -hmm. uh, and new thought leaders, new community leaders that people want to follow and interact with. Once they have those, then they turn on monetization. Yeah. And that's when that'll work. Mm -hmm. And there's a ton of ways for them to monetize. So at the core of it, like, you know, it's all about programming. If you have the right programming and it's good content, people will come. It's, it's, you know, not to bring up Quibi, but like 
Quimby just didn't have great programming or a great value prop. And I think right now Clubhouse actually has a really good value prop in that, you know, you have unfiltered access. It's educational. It's progress focused. Um, If they can hold on to really good programming, you know, and build their own stars like TikTok did, they'll, they'll remain in the market, even if other people build competitive platforms. So what you just said about the internet's biggest event with the Elon Musk, you know, night, and probably we'll see more of those, like already some, some of the people who have already been featured on Clubhouse are like Oprah, Tiffany Haddish, um, Virgil Abloh, like so many celebrities have been on. I think we'll see way more um, come on. And those will probably create these mass internet events that are talked about and essentially uh, appointment viewing that, that we'll continue to see in the audio space. Speaking of appointment viewing. I'm glad you got that that's what my segue was. Carry on. Segue, Samir. The Super Bowl. It was last night. But we're also, recording this. it's in four days. So yes. that's the, the challenge here. We have no idea what happened. Did Tom Brady win? Did Patrick Mahomes have a great game? No idea. But what we do know is that a ton of advertisers have pulled out of the Super Bowl this year. I mean, Budweiser in itself, which represents to me Super Bowl advertising pulled out for the first time in 37 years. So Budweiser, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Hyundai are some of the major companies skipping out on spending the estimated $5.5 million on a 30-second ad slot. Also, Little Caesars, Ford, Olay, and avocados from Mexico. Wild. So some of the notes that we have here are that some of these brands are struggling to find the proper tone for a commercial in a post-2020 world. Now, there are big brands still involved. Doritos, I don't think Doritos can ever skip. They're like synonymous with Super Bowl. Um, Squarespace is involved. Amazon, Cheetos, Logitech. Uh, they're staying with it. But it's pretty amazing. It's, it's, it's around $5 million for a 30-second ad spot. Um, in 2019, there was $336 million uh, transacted in ad slots. And one thing that's interesting is right now it costs $5.6 million to run a 30-second spot and additional $200,000 to air the commercial on the game's online stream. There's about 102 million people who, who watch the Super Bowl. Um, and I, I think the tough part right now is that, yes, I understand that these advertisers are saying it's hard to find a tone. It's hard to find a tone in, in a post-2020 world. But really, I think there's some other conversations happening, yeah. which is like, Shouldn't we just be working with influencers and doing digital marketing? Like- Here's the thing. If it was just hard to find the tone, then that would imply that, okay, we're not making a commercial, but we're also, we're not really going to take part anywhere else. We're not going to be digitally active during the Super Bowl because we can't find the tone. No shot. Yeah. No shot. Budweiser's like, yeah, we just couldn't find the tone this year. Yep. So we're going to, we're going to, Take this one out. So here's why this matters for creators. This is a big moment. This is this is television's last, what's the word? Stand? Hurrah? I don't know. But it's like the Super Bowl is what we're talking about with Clubhouse and appointment listening, appointment viewing. The Super Bowl is the premier appointment viewing experience for television and, and actually for entertainment. And that's why it's been such a big advertising play for everyone. And it's been probably the, the, the program that generates the most advertising dollars. It's because you have everyone's attention at the same time, all watching one screen. Here's the thing. They're not all watching one screen. They're watching five screens. They, they have their, their phone open during the commercials. They're interacting on social. They're texting their friends. It's still advertising's biggest event. Yes. It's just that the event is not solely taking place on television. And it's actually playing out a lot more on digital, on social media, with creators, um, there's a, this really interesting study from Snapchat here that 61% of Snapchatters plan to watch the Super Bowl with the same number expecting to use the app. So basically saying during the Super Bowl. during the Super Bowl. So all Snapchat users are like, yeah, I'm gonna watch the Super Bowl, but I'm gonna have Snapchat open too. So if you start thinking about what's my strategy to integrate with Snap creators during the Super Bowl, you might be able to sit out on the Super Bowl spending $5.6 million on a Super Bowl ad, but spending on digital creators who are going to generate more impressions for you and more meaningful impressions for you. That bodes really well for creators. Yeah, I think if you look at, I read something this morning about Verizon and what they're going to be doing during the Super Bowl, and they are sticking to their 60-second spot or 30-second spot, whatever it is, during the Super Bowl, but then they're going really long with 
some sort of activation, a, a digital stadium inside of Fortnite. Hmm. They have another type of virtual AR activation inside the NFL app. Uh, That's cool. TikTok is doing some sort of uh, tailgate pre-party streamed live on TikTok with Miley Cyrus, right? Like I think when you look at uh, what can be done in the digital environment, you know, like the viewership numbers, a hundred million people maybe watch the Super Bowl. You look at a campaign like David Dobrik did with Chipotle in mm-hmm. 2019. Uh, after 104 a, million video views for Chipotle. 230 million after a month. And over a wow. billion impressions wow. on the hashtag that they chose for that campaign. That's amazing. And I'll tell you what, like the money was, pro- I mean, who knows how much that cost Chipotle. I don't think it was $300 million. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it was $5.6 million. Yeah, exactly. For a 30-second spot. And so that's the thing is COVID, I think, has accelerated it, but it's inevitable. What's happening is that big ticket advertisers are looking to spend less probably on television because they're like, is that really that meaningful? You know, of course, it's still a status symbol. It's still something to be involved in. But if they slice it in half, let's say for the Super Bowl, let's say they had $5 million budgeted, right? $5.6 million. And you know, they had more because they were going to run 10, 30 second spots. So let's just say they just take 5.6 million. You take 5.6 million and you pay creators 250 grand. Think about how many creators you can work with. And that for creators, that's a very big deal for a single campaign, you know? And so all of a sudden you've increased your impact with actually influential people that can generate more impressions than the Super Bowl. I mean, at $250,000 or at half a million dollars, you're working with the Big top. creators. You're working with the top creators. So, so yeah, I mean... And you know, you actually have a, a much better idea of the exact audience that you're getting. Yeah. Right? Like for Verizon totally. to do a, a virtual stadium inside Fortnite, they're pretty confident who they're speaking to. Yeah. For that, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to, I mean, granted, they're still doing the 30-second spot yeah. on cable. But that's the thing. I think it's just less. Like, I still yeah. think you need it. You still, I, it, And maybe that's because I'm if old school. If you want it. Yeah. I think it's there if you want it. If you're a Verizon, you have that money. Budweiser has the money. Do you remember the like, Oreo moment from years and years ago? Yeah. That, that was, I think, the first time that people realized that good creative on social could generate more impressions. So to give context, Oreo did not advertise on the Super Bowl, but there was a power outage during the Super Bowl. And it was like, everyone turned to Twitter to be like, what's happening? Why is the power out for the Super Bowl? And Oreo posted something that was something about like dunking after dark or dunking during the dark. I don't know. Something like that. Something like that. And that tweet went viral. And so they didn't pay any money to the Super Bowl, but had the most viewed Super Bowl ad which came in the form of a tweet. And I think that's what we're going to see now. Bodes super well for creators. It makes me happy to see because I think those advertising dollars should come to creators because creators are the ones right now who are influencing um, markets. They're influencing people and they're creating meaningful connection, which all advertising is, is like telling a story in a really meaningful way that impacts someone enough to take an action. I don't think television does that. I think television serves as a, a status symbol. I think creators do that. And so for, to see less money being spent on television, because um, again, even if you cut it by 25%, you're putting that 25% into our ecosystem, into the creator economy. And fueling the creator economy like that is going to make more opportunities for people like us, for people uh, who are watching right now who are creators yourselves. It's great. I love it. I'm not not excited though about the commercials. So the majority of the ads are already out and YouTube has this custom page called Ad Blitz where they're hosting all of the ads weeks in advance of the Super Bowl. Yeah, one thing I checked out on that page was that Mr. Beast and Honey have an ad that has over 20 million views before Super Bowl weekend. Budweiser's ad has been there for a couple weeks and it has over 10 million views. I still think there's so much on the line for these brands. I love seeing what they come up with. They risk a lot by taking mm-hmm. up Super Bowl mm-hmm. spot. I mean, I like the Super Bowl in general. I play squares with my friends. Which Big is really sports fun. guy. Yeah, I like sports. Cool. So, nice. yeah, I like the Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> I also like the ads, and I do think that a dream scenario would be directing a creator-centric ad for the Super Bowl, and maybe that happens not actually on television, but it's around the appointment viewing of the Super Bowl. I think that would be really fun and very creative to, to try and come up with something like that. Yeah, I'd have a really good time with that. Trying to be kind of self-aware. Samsung did it with Casey during Mm -hmm. the Oscars, which was, I remember watching that and being like, what? Are these the, like, I think MKBHD was in that that one and like Sarah Dietschy and I was like, are these 
people we know yeah. on in the Oscars ad. It felt very ahead of its time. It was super cool. Okay, so we did ask on Twitter for some questions and we said that we were going to answer one of them. One question that I really liked, my favorite question was from John Danger Logren. Okay. Or Lofren. I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly. But his question is, what is the single biggest factor that dictates whether or not you work with a fellow creator? Love that question. It made me do a lot mm-hmm. of thinking about this. And I think, for me, it has to do with do I respect what they do? And is it something that I don't think I excel at necessarily myself? Wait, so is this talking about working with like a creative, like hiring a creative person or is it talking about collaboration? I considered it to be a little bit more along the lines of collaboration, but yeah. a lot okay. of collaborations have also turned into sure. yeah. work. I think on collaboration, it's, it's value exchange, which is in line with what you just said. Yeah. But it's, can I provide value in a way that is unique to me, to this collaboration, and can they provide value to me in a way that's unique to the collaboration? So I, I think that's that's the core of it. It's like you look at, and then does that value intersect with my audience? Like, does that create a good experience for my audience? And uh, and will I create a good experience for their audience? I think that's that's the core. And so a lot of times, if we share the same audience, it's like, or a similar audience and a similar mission, it's easy, but we, we play different roles within that mission. It's a lot harder when you're really similar. You know, it's yeah. harder to think about how do you collaborate when you're too similar to someone. I was thinking about some of our early collaborations, uh, one with Mary Spender, who's a musician mm-hmm. who has a great channel on YouTube, and another one with Matt Diavella uh, far before he had, you know, millions of subscribers. And I think for both of those people, uh, Mary and Matt, like Mary is this incredible musician and she was pioneering and still is pioneering what it means to grow as a musician on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And she's really talented. So yeah. that was like, oh, well, that's a great story. There's value in us telling that story. Yeah. And we also just respect what she does as a musician. I think it's a lot easier for us to collaborate because we're in the, edu- we consider ourselves education. And in education, you can learn something, you know. Yeah. We're education for the, for the creator and, and for the creator economy. And if so you're a creator, that's a case study. Yeah, we can build a case study around you no matter what. And so I think it's easier for us to collaborate. But if you're looking to collaborate, it's all about value exchange. Like come with value and think about what the value is on the other side. Make it easy to say yes. Like, think about everything. Yeah. All right. That is uh, that is the podcast this week or the show, whichever one you like. Please put that in the comments. Uh, we really appreciate you guys subscribing to the channel. If you aren't subscribed yet, please subscribe. And if you haven't liked the video yet at this point, please like it because according to Graham from last week, mm. it really does help push the video. Yeah. So if totally you could does. like it, yeah, actually yeah, it'd be like, great if you would like you it. Know, from the bottom of my heart, I'd love um, if you'd like the video. It'd be great. Those are our initial thoughts on Clubhouse. Uh, If you guys have any other thoughts or questions, you can put those in the comments as well. You can tweet at us. Uh, If you have topics that you want us to cover here, you know, Clubhouse was something that we saw from you. We, We saw it coming up a lot from requests and so we decided to cover it and if there's other things that you guys want us to cover we are listening uh check us out if you're on clubhouse check us out there subscribe to the channel follow us on twitter and we will see you next week